Greetings, everyone. Charlie Epstein here, and welcome to Killing Retirement. This is the show that puts you face-to-face with your notions about what retirement means for you. And I'm the man in America, Charlie Epstein, America's 401k coach, who's trying to kill the myths about retirement, kill your notions about retirement, and open up your thought process about what is this paradigm we call retirement and replace it with something new for you and help you to create a life that you love now and are living passionately into throughout your entire lifetime. You see, in my first book, Paychecks for Life, I talk about something called desirement planning. And I've been at this business now for 35 years. And what I'm really interested in is what is it that you desire? What what is it that you're passionate about? And are you really living your life out of that passion and out of things you desire Or are you waiting for someday, one day to start living your life in what you call retirement? And beware, because Webster's definition of retirement is to put out of use. And that's why I want to kill this notion, because this is the life you have today. And you want to live as openly and fully engaged as you possibly can. So shifting into new ways of thinking is what we're all about here at Killing Retirement and opening up your listening, your hearing, your spiritual life, your inner life to new ways of expanding, really, abundance in your life. And so today, speaking of shifting our thinking on our show, we are incredibly fortunate to have an incredible special guest, Diane Collins. She is the author of the six-time award-winning bestseller, Do You Quantum Think?, considered a must-read book for our changing times. Diane's life is dedicated to people living a spirited, joyful, and masterful life through leaps in awareness and learning and what she calls the physics of the mind. So Diane, welcome to the physics of your mind. Thank you for being here with us. (laughs) Thank you so much, Charlie. I am just absolutely thrilled to be with you and everyone in this very important conversation. Well, thank you so much. Now you've created the quantum think system of thinking, 21 principles that connect us to living our full potential from inner serenity to harmonious relationships creating business results, having more expanded uh, relationships. And my question to you is, in your view, why do we need a new way of thinking? What's this fundamental shift, this fundamental point of view that you have that you can share with our listeners? Well, let's put it in terms of what your work is all about and this podcast is all about, Charlie. And that is we actually don't know how to think for this world. So this is not to insult anyone, but we're in a very different time now. We're in a completely different, as you know, much better than I do, financial landscape. We're in a different social landscape. Things are accelerating faster than we can blink. We're in this 24-7 world, and yet, unbeknownst, even to the best and the boldest and the brightest of us, our thinking is still very much under the influence of what I lovingly call the old world view, the industrial age view. So we're in a quantum age, but we're still thinking in the step-by-step linear progress, let's get all the circumstances lined up before I make a move or a decision. Everything in life compartmentalized. You know, you're young, you grow up, you go to school or you work, you get married, and then that's the end, right, when you reach a certain age. So literally, why do we need new thinking? Because we're thinking out of sync with life the way it is in the world today. 
Yeah, technology, as you talk about, linear thinking versus exponential thinking. The idea that life is happening at an exponential rate because of Moore's law, the computer chip, everything that's happening is doubling every 18 to 24 months. And the old Cro-Magnon way of looking at life, we're not keeping up with that. And in addition to that, human beings think, like you said, linear. They think one, two, three, four. They don't think in an exponential fashion. Well, so this is what my work really is all about, is that I wanted to know, how do we create the results that we want in life? <laughs> I mean, this was my quest since I could even think, right? Since I could observe life and realize that there was this great discrepancy between how we want to be, how we want to be collectively, what we want in our lives as individuals, for our families, communities, and how we actually are. So what I did, Charlie, is I started to investigate everything that I could on what was cutting edge from metaphysics to physics. And I never even studied physics in school, but I sure studied it, you know, later. And how does it all work? The spiritual dimension, the multi-dimensions of life. What is it that enables us to create anything? And that, what is the discovery, which I call my revelation, is that as we think, so we become. That's not the revelation. The revelation is that we imagine we're choosing the way that we think, the way that we approach a situation, the way that we approach how we're aging, the end of our life, what's going on in the world. And yet our thinking takes place like everything in this universe as a system. And our thinking system is shaped by the collective beliefs and ideas about the nature of reality and how it works, including the very worldly things like retirement. So what I realized is that, well, wait a minute, this is true now from a scientific point of view, which is saying in this quantum age, in the age that makes all of our digital technology possible that makes podcasts like this possible. What did they say? That, wait a minute, it's not a linear matter, physical only basis world. It's a mind-based world that our thoughts and the habits of thinking actually have a real influence on one another, mind to mind, and mind to matter. So this is, it sounds a little esoteric, but we know now that our habits of thinking influence what happens chemically in our body, how we relate to ourselves in the sense of what ends up as what we experience in our emotional life. And most of life we know takes place moment to moment. So getting back to the revelation is that if we could take a literal leap in perspectives, what I call a quantum leap in consciousness, if we could take this leap in our mindset as a whole system and start thinking more in sync with, as you say, how do we create instantaneous shifts? How do we create many results at one time. How do we really think differently about how we're going to live the rest of our lives when we get into 
our 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and onward and upward, as we know, living to 100 and 120. So this takes having a new relationship with your mind, with the creative faculties of mind, and with your own thoughts so that you're not stuck with a thought that is debilitating or denigrating or diminishing you in any way. So, Diane, you said you've been on this search for a long, long time. So I want to go back in time, if we could. What happened for you? Was there that seminal moment when you started saying to yourself, this isn't it? What is it? (laughs) What happened that set you on the course? And you know what I'm talking about when I say this isn't it, right? That whole conversation that people have about, you know, when's life going to turn out as if they have no responsibility or cause in the matter, because that's not Mm -hmm. what you're Mm -hmm. talking about. So, but there was a moment somewhere, and I'm interested in going back, what happened for you? Well, to tell you the truth, Charlie, I didn't really have that. (laughs) I didn't have that type of a shift. I just knew that there was a way to, not to sound cliche, but literally of creating a better world. So it wasn't that I would say that the frustration for me in my own life, and I know you want to hear some kind of a great story about this, but... No, 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 no. This is the great story. You know, the story is really our... I always saw it as our story, is that I want to be in a world where there is integrity, where we're not... You know, I heard somebody say this the other day, one of the political pundits or something, and he said... If hypocrisy were water, we'd all be drowning. And, you know, so it was really like that for me. You know, people talk about a bubble. We were living in and still are in many ways in a bubble of what it means to be human, what it means to be the director in our lives, right? And you have an acting career to be the protagonist, to be the leading actor, the director, the producer of our lives, always in co-production with, you know, the big producer in Central Cast, my friend. I guess what I'm interested for our listeners, because if you were always thrown to this conversation at a very young age, right? Like that's where I think you and I are simpatico figures, because I was always like, what? Of course I'm in charge. But do you remember it? The frustration, or you ever frustrated by when you were, let's say, 14, 15, 16, you were aware of this, but nobody else was around you? That's what it feels like, right? Like the proverbial stranger in a strange land. And so, so if everyone feels like that, right? Talk about the emperor's new clothes. I mean, if we're all right, you grok this, everyone groks. If you're feeling like a stranger in a strange land, then, you know, let's wake up folks. And of course, all the spiritual great masters of every wisdom tradition have admonished us, wake up. But, you know, I want to give something very real in this shift from the traditional or conventional thinking, the automatic default, let's call it default thinking, right? You have a smartphone, so how is it going to work? Is it you're just going to go along with the default, you know, however it's set up, you could say in a sense, we have that in our world and in our thinking and in our lives, or are you going to say, no, I'm going to customize this? And so when you look at it and 
the old world view sees things as separate. You know, the scientists of the time, they actually made the declaration only physical matter is real. So in the physical domain, we look separate from one another. We look different from one another. I mean, that could be really the the source of bigotry and all of that that we don't really like much in our world. So what's the new worldview? What's the quantum worldview? So the old worldview is we're separate. Our life is compartmentalized. You know, I had this job when I was younger, but that wasn't it. And so now it's this. But when you start to quantum think, you start to look at things from the whole and you start to know the fact that everything is interconnected and interrelated, including if you look at your life as one whole story or screenplay, there are patterns that you can discover about who you are, what your talents that you've been born with are, you know, a whole adventure that your life becomes when you start to look at it that way. But I wanted to give one practical quantum Mm -hmm. principle. It's both. And that is in quantum physics called the observer effect. Uh, Quantum think is not about science. It's about how the discoveries of science have shaped the way we think and how we can use the new discoveries, the more current, accurate, and up-to-date knowledge to now freshly shape the way we think and relate to life in our world. So this observer effect in quantum think, I call it observer created reality. What does it mean? And it's very, I say it very simply, what you bring is what you get. And this is the difference. Being a victim of circumstance, including the circumstance being your default patterns of thinking, and the difference between that and becoming a conscious generator of how your life is going to go. You know, that protagonist, director, producer in your life. So the observer-created reality means there is no objective way that things are out there. There's no objective, you know, retirement age. There's no objective what you're supposed to be doing or how you should be acting when you reach this stage of your life. There's no absolute reality that is fixed and static, even though we're all conditioned, again, unbeknownst, to think that way. So what's possible with the observer-created reality is you realize what I bring to my observation is shaping my experience. So if you want to make a shift in the way that you're relating now, Whatever your life will be going forward, the first thing, I call it the one-two step, the first step is to see that just because you have a thought doesn't make it the truth. It's not absolute. You don't have to believe it. A lot of the thoughts we have aren't even our own. That's I call the myth of, of choice. You know, they're just coming in. We're in an invisible photosphere, a field of information and energy. And this is, these thoughts are just coming in. We don't choose most of our thoughts. But when you're awake in the moment, you have the opportunity every minute to choose your thinking and your patterns of thinking. And why is that important? Because that's giving your experience, that's giving rise to your actions, that is giving rise to all of your results, interstate, outer world relationships, and outer world money houses and cars. So when you realize, oh, it's an observer-created reality, what I bring to my observation is what I get. 
I don't have to be stuck, victimized by any past patterning of my thoughts, however I've ever related to myself in the past 20 years, 30 years, five years, whatever it is for you. That, okay, thank I have a term for it, least action pathway. It doesn't mean anything. It's just the way the energy goes because it's been that route before, like a an automatic mechanical pattern. And then what? What's the two step? The first is the awareness of a pattern that you're not you know, this is not mate, you know, doing it for you. The second part is what is my intent now? Intent is a very powerful force. Intent is the creative dynamic that each one of us have been divinely bestowed with by human birth. The direction of our attention and energy literally shapes our experience, what we attract and the results of our actions, including our speaking actions and how we listen. So this is the one, two step. It's so easy when you're not stuck with a static reality that you've been believing is the way it is. So I was talking for a while, but I wanted to get this very practical point. Well, intent is so powerful because you talk about choice and the myth of choice And the fact of the matter is most people don't choose freely. You know, it's people decide they don't choose. You know, you know that the word decision means to cut off. So if I give you two choices and I ask you, you probably know the chocolate and vanilla, you know, choose chocolate or vanilla and you choose chocolate. And then I ask you why you choose chocolate and you give me a whole explanation of why you chose chocolate. That's not a free choice. That's your explanation about your choice, right? That's right. So choosing freely not from your history and not from where you've come from and not from, well, my dad, when I was 12 years old, ran away and that's why I'm choosing chocolate or whatever the story is. So I think it's essential what you're talking about, quantum thinking. I love the notion of quantum thinking because we're in a quantum world, like you said, an exponential world. Something else you talk about, which is infinite possibility. But before we go there, when you were talking, I was struck by something somebody once said that I love most when something like, I used to be different, now I'm the same. Right. <laughs> right. That's a very Zen thought. <laughs> right. I used to be different. Now. Well, I, yeah, you know, someone's telling their story and they start to get in touch with who they really are. And then they suddenly let go of all their history and all their attachments and all their past. And they think they're this new person and they go, wow, I feel so different. No, you used to be different. Now you're the same. You just let go of all that stuff that you've accumulated, all the baggage, right? Right. All the coverings that come from these least action pathways of our culture that, again, it's no one's fault. There's nothing to analyze when you're quantum thinking. You know, the old world industrial age was all about analysis. You know, well, this is because my mother said when I was two years old, I'd never make it. All right, we're going to put all the therapists out of business. But you know what? (laughs) Well, maybe they haven't. (laughs) An enlightened therapist is a good thing. But, you know, I was thinking about when you said infinite possibility, like I was laughing because I had that exact thought. And of course, this is how it happens. We're in these fields together, relational field. And then you brought up this notion of infinite possibility, which is a third principle in the 21 quantum think. I'll give that a little plug. And, you know, thinking from infinite possibility, as you were talking about, when all you have 
are the visible options in front of you. Like even what you can envision, you could say, okay, that's all that we can see in a moment. But from a quantum worldview, we know that there is maybe 10% what you can see or envision right now. And then there's a whole 90%, you know, that iceberg below the surface that is conforming with our intent to bring about what we are consciously intending. And so this is what we're not used to. You said at the beginning, why do we need to think in a new world? Because when we start to live this adventure of, you know, I'm in a collaborative process here. When people say, you know, where did this genius come from? Where does that? I woke up at three o'clock in the morning and it's like, aha, I've got the answer. Or, you know, where did this ideas of the Steve Jobs and the Richard Bransons of the world that where does it come from? You know, this is like my part of like, I have to know. Well, and I, I, when you were started talking about, you know, what's below the surface, I closed my eyes because I don't think that's what you're really talking about. So help me here. No, I'm not. I think, Diane, you're well beyond the iceberg, right? Well, what I'm talking about is actually why I use that. And I used it just so that people could get a picture in their minds. But it really is a very limited idea. But it wasn't about the depth of the iceberg or going deeper analysis or anything. I use that because it's what's hidden. So when we are in an intelligent energy field, we're not used to thinking this way because we're brought up in a only physical world, you know, worldview overarching for all of humanity. What I'm talking about is something like, let's use a different metaphor, the internet. So if you think that mind is the creative substance, mind is what we create with. Mind, not just the cognitive left brain, click, click, click mentation, but what we hold in awareness. And so if you think of mind like the internet, what is the internet? It's the infinite mind of humanity, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the sublime. So what becomes your reality? You're always online, right? What becomes your reality is what you choose to click on. So you could say that we are infinite. We are not a fixed set of human traits. We are the possibility of manifesting any human trait, any. And so you think, well, then what's going to manifest? You know, how we see others, how we see others actually pulls that forth from them. So it's the same thing with ourselves. So we exist in these fields and the field is a connecting field. The internet, where is the internet located? It's not, in science they call mind, non-local. It means it's not located in the sense of this telephone on my desk, in the sense of that kind of physicality. This is the good news about mind. What does it mean? It means mind because it's non-physical. It's non-temporable. It's, it's not limited by ordinary chronological time or space. You know, we're talking about that term nonlinear. That is, we use time, 
But beyond time is where our minds focus. So when you say, where did that genius come from? Where did that intuition come from that I should have gone on this route instead of that? And therefore, I avoided, you know, an accident and all the traffic because we're connecting in to intelligence that we're always connected to. And when we learn to use these faculties of mind, intent, intuition, learn to tuning into subtle energy. I mean, you tune right into that I was using really the inappropriate, <laughs> let's say the a limited metaphor there with the iceberg. It's that we start to see that with our intent, we do literally start to connect. We start to pull things in. We can think from infinite possibility about how do I want my life to be now? And I'll tell you a very important thing. I want to hear what you, as the financial expert in the room here, in the virtual room, I'm not a financial expert. However, I do talk about having a conscious relationship with money. And you see where this all fits in. It all sounds very abstract, far out. You know, what are they talking about? But it's real. And it's real. It's just that our culture is now just becoming familiar with these facts. And it's very easy to employ them. But when you think about money and we think about what creates the way that we think about our relationship with money, the way we think about money. These are, again, the least action pathways, the mechanical least creative act, pathways of our patterns of thinking, you know. We call them the myths of money. People have myths about money, just like you talk about the myths of choice. Here I talk with people that we work with is that everybody has myths about their money. You know, and the story that I use is uh, the, uh, the people say, well, what do you mean by, you know, a myth about money? I said, well, it's something you inherited. It was handed down either in a story and what you saw or perceived you saw when you were growing up, what you heard in other people. And the story that I always tell is uh, daughter and mother, young daughter, eight years old, and the mother in the kitchen. And, and it's uh, the holidays and the mother is getting ready to uh, put the ham into this big pot and she cuts off the end of the ham on each end and puts it in the pot. And the little girl says, mom, why'd you cut off the ends of the ham? And she said, I don't know. That's what grandma used to do. Let's go ask her. So they go in the dining room and grandma's setting the table. And the little girl says, grandma, I came in here to ask you, mom has this big pan and she's cutting off the ends of the ham and putting it in the big pot. Why did you do that? And the grandmother said, because the pot was too small. <laughs> Meaning... Right? Got I got it. <laughs> no, I was thinking about that. Right? Visualizing. So it's a, it's a pattern. It's a myth. You know, she, you know, the mother thought, well, grandma used to cut off the ends of the hand and put it in the pot because the pot, you know, the pan, I should have said, was too small. Now they get a bigger pan. Right. right? And, you see, and I think that, uh, you know, I love what you're doing with your clients because this is one of the most important areas of life. Money is central the way that it is on the planet right now that we're on, money is central. And yet we have these myths, as you would call them, these ideas that are not the absolute truth, that you know, money is not virtuous or it's not spiritual to others. Scarce. You know, but when you have to make a distinction, this is where the art of distinguishing becomes a very important thing, where you make a distinction between 
virtues and money and what that represents. Because, you know, people think of money, they think of greed and all these things, these, you know, these things that are not virtuous, but that has to do with human behavior. But if we just look at, which I do in the last chapter of Do You Quan Thing, money in the dimensions, okay? So if you're living fully dimensionally, what is money really representing? I'll go right to the essence of it from my view, is that money, as we know, you know, we invented it to exchange goods and services. And where these goods and services come from? Well, that is whatever came from our passion, from the calling, you could say, from our soul, from whatever it is. And so where did that come from? Well, that came from whatever you think of as, you know, infinite creator. Some people don't think of it that way. But however you think about that source, infinite creation principle. So in a sense, is money divine? Yes. But when I look at when I start to relate to money as representing someone's spirit, someone's creative spirit, all of a sudden, everything changes. Because you're not thinking in this separation mentality. You're realizing that there's something really essentially, I would use, I'll use the word sacred about money. And that money, a lot of people who talk about, you know, in the prosperity consciousness crowd and talk about money as energy, right? Everything has an energetic aspect. Everything has a spiritual aspect. Everything has a physical aspect. This is what I call living fully dimensionally. Everything has a virtual aspect of mind to it. So when you can create a new relationship with money where you have a conscious exchange with money where you're looking at it. And I look at it like this. You probably have your beautiful wording for it. Like, what do we want from money, right? Prosperity, security, freedom. What does money want from us? When I ask to our clients that, what does money want from us? What do you mean? Money wants something from us? So what would you say about that? Because I'm saying- I I, I like what Paul Lennon- I like what Paul Lennon had to say about money. He said, anytime I can sit down and write myself a swimming pool. That's funny. (laughs) When when you get to that place where you can sit down and write yourself a swimming pool, you are clear about the power of choice, who you are in the matter, and money. Yeah, very much so. I'll just sit down and write myself a swimming pool. Could be a good song or could be a bad song, but it'll get me another swimming pool, you know. (laughs) Or you look at or you look at Elon Musk at a very young age. You know, here's a man who coded uh, his first company with his brother, sold it off. You know, PayPal sold it, right? Well, their first company before that wasn't PayPal; it was a postage company. And then they sold PayPal to eBay for billions. And he said, "The first time I sold a company, I could buy one island. And then when I sold to PayPal, I made four hundred fifty-four million dollars or whatever he made, and I could buy four islands." So what am I going to do with four islands? I didn't even want one. So what's he up to instead? Well, let's see. I want to go to Mars. I want to uh, empower people with energy that's limitless and doesn't cost that much, which is really all Tesla's about in his battery company, and Solar City. Well, I'm probably going to get a little off chart, but if you think about it, guys like Elon Musk and Branson, since you mentioned Branson and uh, Jeff Bezos, People think these people become billionaires because they want a lot of money. No, they want to go to Mars. 
<laughs> right. And you they, know, they, my- they have an understanding about, you know, they're building these companies not to make more money for themselves, but so they can go to Mars. <laughs> well, talk about intent. Right. Talk about infinite possibility. Talk about not Peter Diamantis, who's got a company. You know, he wrote the book Abundance, The Future's right. Better Than You I'm Think. I'm familiar with him. Mm-hmm. Part of Peter's Abundance 360, been a part of his group for five years. You know, he created a company called Planetary Resources. I sat with him and three billionaires. And what do they want to do? They want to land a spaceship on an asteroid and farm it for its resources. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But why? Because you need a, they, they realize to get from here to Mars, you need a supply chain. You can't get halfway to Mars, run out of fuel and go back. <laughs> right. That's very logical. And, and they uh-huh. can't send the fuel to you. So since he was in college, Peter has been thinking about how, you know, Napoleon conquered the world was the supply chain and how Patton and, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff. Anyways, I don't mean to get off track, but I think it's totally on track with quantum thinking. Absolutely. It is because they're not limited by any existing circumstance. Yeah. And now, so here's the the thing, thing. Diane, this is what I want to get to with you. So people would say, yeah, but they're not normal. Mm -hmm. They're Mm -hmm. different or they're special. Well, okay. Elon Musk is a boy genius, but anyways, he's a savant. But that aside... Every human being is born with the same wiring to a degree, but we're human at the core. Mm-hmm. So everything that you are teaching in quantum thinking, and I want to make sure our listeners really get this, is available to every human being, no matter who you are, correct? That's exactly right. How I say it is the paradox of being human, the great paradox, we're universally the same and individually unique. So, you know, when you were talking about Elon Musk and Peter Diamandis, I was thinking that the fact is that every one of us, as you're pointing to, Charlie, is born with unique talents, gifts, tendencies, passions, proclivities. And I think this is a very important aspect of being awake and aware of who you are into your own nature. And there is a distinction called the whole movement of purpose for this thing, because every single one of us is here to live out that expression that be that full expression of who we are so maybe we're not you know building or you know putting asking for people to the x project right to build something that takes us to the moon or to mars to an asteroid but whatever it is you're feeling that is what you're uniquely here for and again it's not cliche to say that we Need. We're in a great time of transition as we all are experiencing. And when you look, start to look from a larger perspective, and I like to look at energy patterns and things, shifts, you know, like big shifts in the way things are going. So we have this new technology. 
our institutions, politically, economically, the education system, the health system, are all born under the more limited old world industrial age worldview. And that's why we see this breakdown. So what do we need now? We need new thinking, but we need every single one of us who are alive at this momentous time of transition and transformation to bring forth that which we have been given to give to the rest of the world. It's like, you know, we could say our job on the planet with a capital J. It's not one thing. Yeah. It's like people forget that at one time they were white light and then they had to make a choice to come to earth is the way I like to talk about it. Mm-hmm. We all chose to be here. That's the first big choice that people don't acknowledge. The first choice is you got to get that you choose to be here. Wasn't your parents doing? You just got your parents together so you could have an entry point. And now, now you shown up in this, you know, human life form. I remember the movie Starman with Jeff Bridges. So here we, there we were. We were floating around as white light, and we one day decided, I'm going to land here and show up in this human life form. Why? You know, why did you send yourself here? Not what were you sent for? What did you send yourself here to do? And that's this journey. And I just love what you're doing is helping people discover why they came here to begin with. Absolutely. Yes. Right. And are they actually going to embrace how really, truly magnificent and powerful they are? Or are they going to be limited by their pettiness, their foolishness? their choicelessness, their irresponsibility in the matter, because we got so much work to do on the planet. (laughs) But I don't look at it exactly the way you just voiced it. I don't mean the white light, you know, the soul picked, hi, we're here and we're incarnating and let's get to it. But I'm talking about, you know, the part about the pettiness and all that, because that's why I use this term, least action pathway. Because if you look at that in the development of humanity, obviously the technology has helped bring us all together to start to get, in some sense, hey, we really are connected. And, you know, when Citibank changes an accounting procedure, the whole world economy can be affected. All of a sudden you start to realize, wait a minute, something else is going on here. And so when I look at it, I say, blame it on the old world view, because the industrial age view, which was called in science the classical mechanical worldview. So that whole ideation, that idea form as a collective gave rise to what? Machinery. So I say not to insult anyone. In many ways, we became automatic and mechanical too. You know, think of a machine. Once you turn it on and set it to go, it just runs on its own unless something goes wrong. Then we intervene. But if you start to look at us as making this leap, from a more automatic kind of mechanical way of being, then I say not to let go of being responsible for our actions and everything, but to be able to say, maybe there's nothing wrong with us. Maybe we can literally transcend the blame, shame game and start to look at it as a least action pathway. There are cultural least action pathways. There are familial least action pathways. I like to always use the least action pathway of the media. You know, what's the least action pathway in our current conventional media? What went wrong is wrong or what will go wrong. 
that's the the mental pathway of the media. And of course, then there's all the rationalization for it. Oh, well, you have to have conflict or you won't make money. How are we going to get the advertisers, you know, and all that? What is that? That's a least action pathway. Well, can we create a new narrative in the media? Well, you and I are doing that right now. You're doing that with your show. And what did you want to get to, Charlie? Well, I want people to get to you and be able to work with you. So as we come to the beginning of closure, but not the end to our relationship, (laughs) how can our listeners work with you and find you and locate you and be empowered by you? Thank you. Well, the best way to find me and connect with me is on my website, dianecollins.com. It's Diane with two N's, D-I-A-N-N-E-C-O-L-L-I-N-S, dianecollins.com. And everything is there, social media, mailing list. If you sign up for the mailing list, I do have give you a link to one of my most popular articles, which is how you apply quantum think specifically to your business, whether you're in an entrepreneurial business or whether you're in a corporate situation. All of our clients still use that article. It's called, you can't get there from here. And that's the idea is that whatever your current mindset thinking, oh, I'm not there yet, will never get you there. And this has to do with the dynamics of mind applied. And what we do, for me, it's all about living the wisdom making it practical. And what we do, and you can find on our contact there or contact me through any of social media, which is also there, is we work with leaders. We work with mostly in major corporations at top levels of leadership. So we like to pick leaders who literally want to make a difference in the world, who know that we have to think in a new way. They themselves have a great vision and are high leverage points. We also work with entrepreneurs. We work with celebrities. We work with, I like politics, so I like to work with people in political arenas. And that's what we do. Of course, my book, which I invite everyone to read. Do You Quantum Think is the other way that everyone else that's listening to the podcast can gain access to your thinking as well. Right. And we thank you, Diane. It's been a real pleasure. I wish we had more time on our podcast because we're just getting into the heart of the matter and the meat of the work that you're doing. But this has just been such a wonderful conversation, which I've been looking forward to. I know we tried to get it together uh, one time before. So I just really, really appreciate you sharing your authenticity with everybody. You're sharing your really powerful way of contextualizing this amazing time, this exponential time that we have. And it just so fits in to everybody with I'm here for in this notion of killing retirement, this notion of living your life day to day, really enshrined in what you're passionate about and not selling your soul or yourself out to the myths that you have about, well, I should do this job and then I should do that job and have children and then maybe one day, someday it'll all turn out. And so I encourage you all to go to diannecollins.com, D-I-A-N-N-E-C-O-L-L-I-N-S.com. Immediately sign up for her information and get a copy of Do You Quantum Think? I encourage you because 
It will rock your world and shift the way you view what I'm talking about and everything else. And remember, you can go to my webpage. That's killingretirement.com. And I invite you to click on the RSS feed so you can get our Killing Retirement podcast delivered to you each and every month. And of course, you can reach out to me, Charlie Epstein, here at C, D as in David, Epstein, E-P-S-T-E-I-N at the 401k coach, that'd be me.com for answers about how we can help you kill retirement and become the master of your money and break out of those myths. I'm Charlie Epstein. I'm the man in America who's killing retirement. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next podcast.